morning. <clears throat> Our scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 and 11 through 16. It can be found on pages 6 and 7 of the worship guide. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him as, is, is it, as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jack. Well, now that Adam has woken you up, my task is to make sure you don't go back to sleep. That was funny, folks. Come on. Huh? It's good to see you all this morning. So as we, as I mentioned early on in the first part of the uh, worship service, today is our second week in our worship and stewardship series. Last week we talked about the fact that we are not a people of scarcity. We are a people of plenty. And because of that, we have plenty of time and talent and treasure and hopefully thankfulness. And that gives us a great opportunity. Our plenty gives us a great opportunity to be a powerful expression of faith, faith that comes forth in our lives, a faith in God, a faith in God's mission, and a faith in the church that God is using as its active agent in this community. So last week, we considered what it meant for each of us to have plenty of time to give towards God's purposes, God's work, and the efforts in our world. This week, we're going to talk about what it means for each of us to have plenty of talent. The gifts that God gives us. As many of you are aware, over the summer we took our grandsons on vacation with us. We went to Breckenridge, Colorado. And while we were there, we did a couple of day trips. And one of them was to go to the Royal Gorge. And for those of you who have never been there, Royal Gorge along with Pikes Peak are a couple of the great areas to go if you're near um, Colorado Springs. And it's actually a pretty easy day trip as well from Breckenridge to get to these places. So we took him to the Royal Gorge one day. The Royal Gorge, if you didn't know, itself is about 1,250 feet at its maximum depth. It's 300 feet wide at its widest point, about 50 feet uh, at its narrowest point. It's about six miles long going through the mountainous regions of Colorado. 
1929, the city of Canyon City authorized the building of a bridge and a park that would span the gorge, and they constructed it. The, the bridge stands 955 feet above the Arkansas River. It's 1,260 feet long, going from edge to edge or side to side of the gorge. And, and the bridge is a walking bridge. So if you go there, you can literally walk all the way across the gorge on this bridge that's almost a 1,000 feet above the riverbed. It's a fun little trip to take, right? It's a wide bridge. It's not a narrow path. It's a big, big wide bridge to walk across. And so we took our grandsons and we walked across the bridge. We got to the other side and we decided that we were going to take the gondolas and come back across. They also now have zip lines that you can take back across as well. Even my adventurous grandsons wouldn't do that. And neither would their adventurous grandfather either because you're about 1,300 feet up above the river, right? So we got into the gondola. We took the gondola across and we got out on the other side and our 13-year-old grandson looked at us and said, Never again. But one of the fascinating things about standing on the bridge is you can actually lean over the edge of it a little bit. You can look and you can see down to the river. And and below us, we saw some folks that were whitewater rafting down the Arkansas River. There was a couple of different groups that went underneath us. And it's kind of an interesting formation if you look at it. There's a, a couple of kayaks that lead the team. And then there's a couple of big rafts that have about eight people in them. And then another kayak kind of trails behind. And we saw a couple of different groups floating down the river. But the amazing thing is, is even a thousand feet up, you can hear the guide in a raft yell, row, 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 to get people to row so that they can steer the boat and guide it down the river. When he yells at one side or the other side or all on the boat, you hear them yelling this. You get to watch this transpire. I have to admit, though, I have never been whitewater rafting. Have any of you ever been whitewater rafting? A few of you have? Yeah, cool. Good for you. Me, the closest I've come, is canoeing down a slow little river in the south part of Missouri, right? There's many of us that have done that, yeah. We used to do that in our youth group when I was a kid. And we would race down the river to see who was the fastest to get down there which meant that usually to do that you had to tip over your friends' canoes and bury them in the water kind of thing, right? That's what we did. But the point that I'm trying to make, though, is, is I hope everyone knows that there's a purpose in, in a team like this, that people row together in this to get from a point A to a point B. They have an objective in mind, and it's taking everyone doing their part for them to reach their goal. From the moment they get on the river to off the river, everybody plays a key part in rafting. Whether it's two people, eight people, 200 people. I think about what it means for folks to gather together in a place, to give of their talent, to work for a common goal. Think about how this plays out in your own lives, right? For those of you who are in business and academia, you may have senior leaders, you may have a a visioning team, and they set a vision and objectives for the organization, but then it becomes the other players, the team members, the people, all pulling together with their own talents and their abilities to make this objective a reality. There's a common purpose that binds all together in this. It's usually profit and income, or it could be matriculating of students if you're in academia. Everybody's pulling 
for that purpose in civic. We do it in our organizations of, of community as well. We elect members to be a part of our, our polis that creates a vision for our community, the things that are going to enhance the quality of our community life together, hopefully draw new people into our community to work together for the best in our ideal environment and what we want to create. We do this in civic forms as well. I think about it in the, in the household most all, of all and how we as families do this and two people that, that get together and they work together. They partner for the good of a relationship to nurture it. They complement one another. Sometimes one has great skills and the other not so much. And so they complement each other or where they both lack, they, they seek to develop new skills. And then if and when children come, All of those skills are essential in trying to figure out how to raise the family and nurture it. You have common goals and objectives, even in your family. And the talent and the gifts and the abilities that it takes. We we all know that we all have a role to play in this life. That we have been given a set of gifts and talents, the ability to aid in the work that goes on around us for the common good. And the church is the same. The church is the same, dear friends, except for it's a a little bit different in its goal and in its vision, what it's trying to create or bring about. If you think about the goal of the church, we state it often. The goal of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to make new disciples and ongoing disciples of Jesus Christ with the purpose of that being the transformation of the world. To accomplish this, we believe that God draws people forth, draws them into a community together, or what Paul calls the body of Christ, and that we are that representation here. We are the body of Christ here at St. John's. Members together, connected by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Spirit for our own unique purposes within this community, and that each and every one of us are necessary for the body of Christ. Did you hear that? We're all necessary. We're all equally necessary for the body of Christ to meet its goals, its objective here. Paul found himself often writing to communities of faith. And and several of his letters are letters of encouragement and several of his letters are letters of instruction to to help them understand a a better way to live together, to, to express the gospel in their community. And many of the members that that he had experienced and written to, they all knew what their gifts were, and they were trying to use them for the best of the community of faith. But occasionally he'd have to write someone and correct them because they would be misusing their gifts. One class of those folks was a group of people who had the gifts of tongues, and they thought that they were more important, that they had the supreme gift of all, and so they must have been the most important within the community of faith. And Paul had to write them and remind them that the gift of tongues is one among many and no greater gift than any of the others. It's one that was necessary at the time. Paul calls them out and corrects them and says, for the body of Christ to function, we have to function equally in all of our gifts. And then in other passages, Paul reminds folks of what those gifts are. And you can combine some of the New Testament passages and you come up with a fairly expansive list of all these gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. Paul says that some are called to be apostles, others prophets, teachers, 
To some is given the gift of wisdom, leadership, spiritual knowledge. Others, faith and miracles. Some have the gift of healing, or what we call mercy and helps. Some, the gift of prophecy. Others, the ability to divine spirits, the divine between good and evil spirits. To some, speaking in tongues. To others, the interpretations of tongues. And for Allie Williams, the gift of humor. You've heard her say that often, right? That's her spiritual gift, right? In the bond and the unity of love, all of these gifts work together for the glory of God, the good of the church, and the transformation of the world. Everyone, everyone within the body of Christ are gifted. We are all uniquely gifted. We all have a part to play, an intricate part to play for the functioning of the body of Christ. We are all necessary for the body of Christ here to be complete and to meet its mission. I liken it to a puzzle. How many of you like putting puzzles together? Any of you? You know, to take a 500-piece puzzle and dump it out on the table, and then you start sorting it all out, and you begin to put it all together, and you know that at the very end of it, that puzzle is supposed to represent the image that's on the box, and that you need all pieces for it to fully represent the image that it is proclaiming, right? But what happens when the puzzle is missing one piece, or two pieces, or 23 pieces? then it no longer meets its goal, its objective. It's not fully expressing the image that it was created to do. And the body of Christ here at St. John's is the same way. Every single one of us are a unique little puzzle. We fit our place here. We do our part for the body of Christ here. And when one of us is missing, the body of Christ is incomplete. And our ability to realize our fullest potential as God's community is degraded. So every one of us, dear friends, every one of us is necessary for the body of Christ to do what God is calling us to do. Every single one of us has a gift, a part to play in this if we would give our time and our talent to it. I think, though, in some ways that we might have fallen trapped to kind of the modern era that we live in. We Many of us went to our, our charge conference last Sunday night, and Dr. Simpson, our, our district superintendent, had a, a short little section of it, and he shared some thoughts with us. Our own bishop has been reading a lot of different books about United Methodist history and what's been going on in our denomination and how we've gotten from point A to where we currently are today. And one of the things that we hear consistently is, is that United Methodism, along with many other mainline churches, finds itself in decline. Some people say that it's been in decline since 1968 when we merged together with the Evangelical United Brethren because that was the high watermark of our membership in 1968. And it's just been on a kind of decline since then. But history actually tells you that Methodism began to shape differently, form differently, and change and kind of start a different trail way back in a different portion of our history. If many of you remember, we were built upon what was called circuit riders, right? The circuit rider had a bag of books on a horse, and they rode around from town to town to town, and they preached, and they served communion. And when the circuit rider wasn't in town, you had your bands and your classes, your small little groups that you met in for your own equipping and training for ministry. The laity did a lot of its own ministry in those days and times. But what changed in Methodism was the day when the circuit rider gave up the horse and the saddlebag and bought a house in town. 
and stayed in town and then moved only as the representatives or our polity would move them around. And the second part of that was is that we also got rid of our bands and our class meetings and we formed into houses of worship like this and had worship more than we did our small group meetings. And so fewer and fewer people found themselves being trained for ministry in the ways in which God intended maybe for Methodism to do it. And then, finally, we decided to elevate the highly educated clergy, and we created kind of this professional class of clergy, and for many of us, we have let that become more the emphasis in our ministry models. And so, for generations, for generations, we have moved away from the laity being as actively involved as they have in other times of our history. And now is the time for us as a denomination to reclaim those things. To know that every single one of us has been gifted for ministry. We are all equally important. No one person wears the Superman t-shirt or Superwoman t-shirt and does it all in our communities of faith. We are all needed. We are all a vital part of this. So dear friends, I want to ask you this morning, what are your spiritual gifts? What has God uniquely gifted you to do that fits into the mosaic, the puzzle that we call St. John's. What are you doing to use these gifts for God's glory? Because I know that there's plenty to be done. There's plenty of talent, and there's also plenty to be done around the church. For those of you who know a little bit behind the scenes, the administration that takes place each and every day just to make sure that as an organization we function, the internal ministries that we're trying to lead that we want to encourage participation in, the external ministries that we have that are currently ongoing and the new ones that we could envision and adopt as well. For you to be actively involved in worship or formation, you could come stand and do a a duet with Adam. No takers? Maybe. Yeah. Or you could lead and be a part of a class or a small group of some kind to be a part of our hospitality group as well. There's simple maintenance that goes on at this building that many of you probably don't even know about. Ask Charlie Perkle or Jack Tennell about some of the things that they invest their time in just to upkeep them and do the maintenance around the building. Or just simply think about caring for one another and how we do that as a community of faith holistically. There's plenty to be done, and there is plenty of talent to do it all. The challenge is for us to prioritize it as a community of faith, to make space in our lives so that we can allow that to flourish and come forth in all of us. And I believe that when we do, that God will bless. I know that God will continue to bless what we're doing right now and the gifts that are being used and given. God will bless. But I think about how much more of God's blessing can be poured out as more and more of us engage and give of our talents, our gifts, to God's purposes. So let me ask you, what's holding you back? What's holding you back today from being an active part, from giving all when it comes to your spiritual gifts? Are you afraid of the water that is the work of the Holy Spirit? Not sure if there is room for you in the raft that encompasses our mission? Or maybe you've just never been invited to go floating with the community. I pray that God overcome your fears today. That the Holy Spirit live within you, work within you, conquer all things for you. So that you might know that you are more than able. 
you have plenty of talent. Here's what I hope you hear today and take away from this moment. I'm going to remind us all that we all know what it is or what it was to use our natural talents for very worldly purposes. We've been active in business, academia, civic, at home, here as well. And to know that God has equally gifted every single one of us for divine activity, to serve God's mission. We are all equally necessary to this vision, especially here at St. John's. And as I've said, we have plenty of talent, plenty to do. And now is the time for us to get involved. So here's your invitation. Claim your gift. Own it. Read the invitations. Take a moment to talk with me. Take a moment to talk with someone that's on one of our boards. Take an opportunity to speak to someone who's a leader in our ministry. Or or Dale, if you want to sing in the choir. Where'd you move to, Dale? Over here. Right? Or talk to Dale. Get involved in the ways in which God has gifted you. And let God bless others through your gifts. May God pour out God's richest blessings upon your community of faith and the world through your talents, your spiritual gifts. Amen. I'm going to invite our usher.